This morning, uh, we're continuing on. Last, as you heard, um, yesterday we were um, studying and considering the topic of marriage from the perspective of eternity. That marriage is actually only for this life. And, uh, and, but it's, it's got such a significance in this life. It's got such a role to play. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Genesis 2. is really where we're going to be parked this morning. In Genesis chapter 2. You know, I just want to say, you know, I'm thankful for all the 60-some people that came out, but I was really thankful for those of you that came out that have, some of you are, reminded me that you were married longer than I've been alive. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me feel young or the other way, but anyways. Um, but I, I, really, I really appreciate coming out because there were some things that were said um, that just uh, spoke volumes to me and I learned from and I was taught. And so just thank, thank you again for coming out um, and just uh, sharing with us. I, I, I appreciate everybody who came out, but I, I definitely appreciated those who said, listen, we are going to come out and um, we are just going to bless and we are going to encourage um, those of us who maybe are in the, the real thick of marriage right now. And so I really appreciate that. Well, in Genesis, that's where we're starting. We're coming to probably, I hope for you, a very famous passage. I trust it is a, a passage that you're very familiar with. Um, it's actually, we're going to be looking at the first wedding. That's where we're going to be parked out. And, and I really uh, titled this, The Master Plan for Marriage. Because I think that every person ought to be passionate about marriage, whether you're married or not. You need to be passion, passionate about marriage because of this. The very start of the Bible begins with a marriage. And guess what happens at the very end? A marriage. Marriage, in, any, in many ways, is the story of the Bible. And so really, today what I, I'm desiring to do is to, for you just to maybe pull back from all the things and the baggage that you associate with marriage and, say, and just dive in and say, okay, what does God say about marriage? What does God say about marriage? And uh, if you think about the state of marriage in a society— um, you understand very quickly, it's not reflective of what God designed it to do and to accomplish. It really is not there anymore. Reminds me of a seven-year-old girl saw the, the movie Cinderella and was talking with her friends about it afterwards. And one of them says, I know how it end, ends. Cinderella and the prince live happily ever after. And the little girl said, no, they don't. They got married. But you know, we might laugh at that, but the fact of the matter is, that's many ways the state of marriage in our culture today. What has designed to be beautiful, sacred, to represent the story of the Bible, now has become a train wreck. And it ought to grieve our hearts. Even the church has strayed away from teaching about the biblical marriage and instead has allowed society to shape and to twist it, to conform it into its own image. And once was a solid foundation of marriage is now is being destroyed and it has devastating consequence for the church. I've noticed that more and more I'm seeing, and maybe it's because of marriage shows, that there's more work and it concerns me there's more work put into the day, the ceremony, than there is to the whole life of marriage that they're going to have. All the attention, all the work goes into that day, so it's a perfect day. And they don't even think about considering what God has to say about his principles that would make a marriage work and last and accomplish what God has called it to do. Statistically, they say 42 to 45% of first marriages end in divorce. 
remember reading about one, um, she was a granddaughter actually, and she, uh, she was getting to the age of, you know, um, you know, in her 20s and stuff like that for getting married. And she says this, she said, I'm scared of marriage. She said, if a couple, like my grandparents, she said they were together for 50 years and then they divorced. She says, if they couldn't do it, how am I possibly going to make this work? And that's why it's so important this morning, I think, that we talk about this. And I think in many instances, many Christians don't even know what they're aiming for in marriage. They just know how they feel around the person, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And so how are we going to hit the mark as believers if we don't even know what that mark is? And so I would just want to open our Bibles, and I want to begin in Genesis chapter 2. And we'll just start in verse 18. Actually, let's start in verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man, placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will most certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed her of the ground, every wild animal and every bird of the sky, and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man would call, call the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs, closed it at the flesh at that place. The Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman, brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for she was taken from a man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you the Bible says that it is sufficient for life, for us to be able to live godly, for us to be equipped for every good work. Marriage is your plan. Marriage is a, is a good thing. And if we're going to be equipped for marriage, we need to know what you have, say, you have said what you, the designer, has, has instructed us about. And so I just pray that, that today there may be some things that are maybe hard to receive. I understand that. There may, there may be things that challenge the way that their perspective on marriage. But Father, I just pray that we would say, is this what God is saying? And if it's what God is saying, then we are going to believe it and we are going to do it. May there be a grace upon us, your grace upon us, I pray this morning. Amen. Well, it starts off with, you notice, God says, listen, and as you read it, you almost get the idea that God is kind of just figuring this out. Well, let me tell you, God just is not figuring out. He's trying to help Adam figure it out. If you've been married to a man very long, you know sometimes it takes us a little while to catch on, right, to figure it out. And so, so Adam is very representative of us. He's a little, little slow catching on what's happening here. And so God says, well, I'm going to help him understand it's not good for him to be alone. What I've called him to do, he can't do it himself. And so he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get him to start going through the animals and naming them. And so that's what Adam, start, Adam starts doing. I mean, can you imagine the creativity to take a look at all these animals God has done and started naming them? You know, I know he didn't speak English, and so he didn't say that's a giraffe and that's a lion. But can you imagine sitting there and naming all the animals? And so, you know, as Adam's naming them, he's noticing there's the lady, you know, tiger, and there's the male tiger, and there's the female armadillo, and then there's a male armadillo. I don't know how he did it. I mean, his mind must have been just so creative. I think I'm creative, but, 
But naming has never been my strong suite. Um, that's why we quit at five, five, six boys, because I just got running out of names. No, I just, <laughs> but really, when I was growing up, my, my sisters were big on naming our animals. And so um, I used to raise a few sheep just as a kind of a side business. And I remember my sister's always like, Josh, you got to name your animals. And so with them, you just didn't name your animals. You actually had to give them a first and a middle name. And of course, their last name of the animals would always be Cameron because they were in our Cameron. And so, uh, so my creativity, once I had twins, and they're like, you got to name them. And I'm like, I was getting kind of frustrated this because I couldn't even remember all the names. And so um, I thought I was very creative. I named them First John, Second John, and Third John. <laughs> Anyways, that worked for them. But Adam is naming all these animals. And as he's naming them, he's noticing what? None of these are corresponding to me. They all have male and female, male and female, male and female, but there's nobody that is corresponding to me. And then the Bible says that God took one of his ribs, closed the flesh at that place, and he made the rib he had taken from man into woman and brought her to the man. And the man says what? This is it. Where have you been my whole life? Literally, that's what he, he's like, this is it. This is, you know what I mean? It took him a long time to catch up to there, but when he saw her, he's like, this is it. This is the one I have been waiting for. And so I want to just look at this passage because I believe from this passage, we can get a little bit of an idea of what God's plan is for marriage. And so my first point is simple. As the originator of marriage, God gets to set the rules. As the originator of marriage, God gets to set the rules because Genesis 1 is a reminder that God created everything good, isn't it? God kept saying, I did this and it's good. I did this and it's good. I did this and it's good. The only thing that he says was not good is that, that at that point he, st- he just made Adam. The only thing that wasn't good. And so then what does God do? He says, he says rest of, time to bring in the rest of my plan once Adam gets that idea. It's time to bring in the rest of my plan and create Eve and present her to Adam. It was God's design. God planned and created marriage. And I want to encourage you as a church. I know sometimes, you know, we joke and stuff around, but we must never speak bad of what God said is good. We need to be careful about the ball and chain, you know, and stuff like that. And, and I know, you know, there's a time just to be, uh, have a little bit of fun. But we need to be very careful that as the people of God that we raise up, we have a high view of marriage because it's something that God has created and God said it is good. A Christian marriage understands that it's all about what God says. God is the planner, the designer, much like building inspectors, right? They don't go around, hopefully, just saying, hey, this is what I feel like today. This is the way I think that makes a house safe. They say, I have a code that I'm, I am inspecting every house to. And I've had people come to me as a pastor and say, listen, this is our plan and we want you to endorse it. And I said, no, God has given me the code for marriage and I need to uphold that code. What are some of the things that God says is the design of marriage, the rules of marriage? First of all, in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 23, it's very clear. God says, this one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Very clear, the Bible says, that marriage consists of a male and a female. Bible definition. God says right at the beginning, it was a man and a woman. Now we have a consumer mentality today, and we're like, oh well, um, it's all about getting the perfect fit, right? Come on, ladies. You know, it's probably been sometimes frustrating for you to go shopping these days in stores when they don't have, you can't try on the clothes first, right? How many of you have been a little frustrated with that? Because you want to buy something and you want to make sure that it's a perfect fit. And so we have this idea of we need that perfect fit. 
And you need to understand, when the Bible says, I will make a helper corresponding to him, it literally says, I'm not a Hebrew guy, but in studying, it literally says this, I will make a helper like opposite him. Think about that. I will make a helper like opposite him. You're like, wait a minute. You know, make up your mind here. Is it like him or is it opposite him? You can't be like and you can't be opposite at the same time. But yes, you can if it's a complementary thing. Some of you and I know do puzzles, right? What makes a good fit? Two puzzles that are exactly the same? No, a, cor- a puzzle that is corresponding, right? That makes the right uh, fit so the picture looks proper. On the one hand, um, that they, um, on, on, on one hand, they need to be somewhat close in, in, in type, right? It needs to be from the same picture. It needs to have the same design on it. That's why Adam's looking and saying, lion, lion, you know, dog, dog, you know, chicken, chicken. Nope, nothing corresponding. And then he saw Eve. He says, what? This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is part of the same structure. But he says, you know, I am, I think it's Ish, and she's Isha. There's man and a woman here. They need to be complementary. And here's what we're being told. God says, I will make a helper complementary to him. God is sending into Adam's life somebody that is very different, but compatible. And what does this help do? What was this helper supposed to do? Because I want you to think about, I think this is really important. What was Eve there to do? Did Adam need Eve to name the animals? Shake your head, no. He got the animals named on his own, right? Did, did Adam need Eve to tend to the garden? Nope. But there was a whole task that God had called him to do. You can pick it up in Genesis chapter 1. He says, to, I want you to have dominion over the earth. He makes it very clear. Um, let me see here. I think I put it down here. I'll find it here. Um, yeah. Verse 26 of chapter 1. Let's make man our image according to our likeness. They will rule over the flesh of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 28. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over it. <laughs> so Adam's like, I can name the animals, right? I can even, uh, you know, tend to the garden, but I can't multiply by myself. I can't fill the earth by myself. I want to say this. Marriage consists of a male and a female because those two God has brought together, God has designed um, to fulfill the calling and the responsibility God has given to the man. God has brought them together to fulfill the calling and the responsibility God has given to the man. And I want to say this. There's a lot of talk about compatibility, you know, in many ways there. A marriage, I think, is all about incompatibility, right? It's about the, the male and the female. And I don't know if you noticed it, but we tend to think differently. And we tend to operate differently. Um, there can be many tensions and there can be many conflicts that flow out of that. Every now and then you'll have this moment of saying, you know what, my spouse is different from you, thinks differently, acts differently. It may even cross your mind about this idea that it's incompatible. But, and it's a crazy to me that in the last 20 years, how many marriages that have gone 50 years end up in divorce? And they're citing this. They're saying they're actually citing incompatibility 
on their divorce certificates for a reason. But I want you to understand it's God's design that we're seemingly incompatible. Because God could have made a clone of Adam, couldn't he? Could have been able to do that, but no. Instead, he made a help that's suitable, someone different than him. And the Bible is very clear that marriage is between a male and a female. And sometimes they may seem worlds apart, but that is God's plan. I mean, just think about just simple things like getting groceries, right? My, my, my wife makes a nice toddy list and goes and gets the groceries. You know, I, I wait till there's half a bottle of, of juice and half a pack of uh, hot dogs, and then I go and buy everything that's on sale and that looks good. You know, you know there's a whole different approach we do um, to how we approach life. Jesus makes it clear in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 5, if you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 19 and verses 4 to 5. He, he makes this whole idea very clear. He says, haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he said, also for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Jesus takes right back to this account. He says, don't you know marriage is for a male and a female? That is God's plan. It's given to us in the sense of it's given and non-negotiable, and it's given as a gift. Secondly, marriage is about a common purpose. Marriage is about a common purpose. Look in verse um, 18. The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. If you go down to verses 20, it says this. Um, the man gave names to all livestock, the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. Down in verse 24, after Eve comes to him, he says, This is why a man leaves his father and his mother, bonds his, his wife, and they become... One flesh. It's about a common purpose. When God says he'll make a helper, I know some people will go to this term like he made somebody that'll, you know, sweep the floors and do the dishes and do all the laundry, make the beds. But that's not what this word actually means. It's not what it's describing. Matter of fact, it's the same word that the Bible uses when it says God is our helper. Exact same word here. When it says God is the one who is helper. And as a helper, it doesn't mean that he's, he's lesser than us, Right? And no means means that we rule over God because, because he's our helper. It means he comes in and supplies what is necessary. In any kind of situation, he's the one that helps me accomplish it, allows me to do what I can't do by myself. It's an almost a, a concept of the ideal partner seems to convey the best um, idea. And I love that the Bible is so unique in this description. You know, the Bible is... Never um, demeaning to women. Matter of fact, in, in an age when women were not thought of as much, the Bible is always elevating um, the role of women. It's always giving value to them. And I like how Matthew Henry explained it the text this way. He says, The woman was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor of his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. I think that's a really cool um, to even think of it that way. But Adam looks at Eve and says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This phrase is a sign of value. This marriage is about together accomplishing the task God has given to us. It's about fulfilling what is lacking in one another to complete the calling that God has tasked the man to take leadership in, which is to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. 
And it's so important to understand the significance of this point. And for the young people that are here, I want you to understand the significance that marriage is about a common purpose. Amos 3.3 3 says, Can two walk together unless they're agreed? 2 Corinthians 6.14-16 to 16 talks about that we, there needs to be um, a unity of focus. There needs to be an equal yoke. It's the ideas behind there. If you're a child of God, listen, we have a radical different focus, calling purpose. And God says, make sure that you're supposed to, one that you're looking to marry for you that are, are at that age, make sure that they have that same focus, that same calling, that same desire upon their life. Make sure if you're a child of God loving Jesus that they're pursuing Jesus. Not that they just put the title on them, but they're actually involved in that same calling. We'll talk more about that later. Thirdly, marriage is exclusive. Genesis 2.24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. There's that leaving, there's that cleaving, to use old terms. There's a new family unit that happens. There's a new leadership that happens as the man steps up and says, I'm going to fulfill the call of God upon our lives. Matthew 19, 6 says, They're no longer two, but they're one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Marriage is really about priorities. It says this new family unit is a priority over all other families, friends, because it's the start of a new family. And I think it's really illustrated in the physical expression. What does Hebrews 13.4 say this? Marriage is honorable among, among all in the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. So marriage is exclusive, and we see that in the physical element of marriage. The Bible reminds us that God is very pro-sexuality, right? He designed the whole process. I mean, you, we even have a book of the Bible that just celebrates the intimacy the physical expression of the marriage union. God's all for that, but God is also saying this. He says, listen, it is only in the context of marriage that that happens. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He designed it, and he says, I know how this is supposed to work. What does Proverbs say? Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her, he will not go unpunished. See, sex is not just an activity. Sex is a way to say to somebody, I belong completely and exclusively to you. That's what it's all about. And if you use it to say anything else, it's a lie. And what do lies do to a relationship? They destroy it. They undermine it. Lies hurt relationship. And that's why when you come down to verse 25, it says, Both of them as man and wife were naked, yet felt no shame. The idea there is not that they just had no clothes, although they did. The idea is that they, they were totally exposed to one another. They had no secrets between one another. In marriage, transparency can be regained. In the security of a lifetime commitment, a husband and wife can relax, feel comfortable together, and slowly the walls can become, come down, which can be the work of years and years. And we say, hey, you know who I am. There are no secrets with me. And yet, because of the grace of God, the gospel, I accept you, I love you, and I'll serve you, is the attitude of them toward each other. We've got to keep moving here. Um, fourthly, marriage is for life. Marriage is for life. Um, he says what? Uh, they leave their father and the mother. They bond with their wife. They become one flesh. Mark 10, 49, it's, it makes it very clear that it's something. What God has joined together, let no man tear apart to separate. 
mean, people are changing their marriage vows now. I even read about this marriage vow. It says this, you know, I so-and-so take you so-and-so to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish for as long as our love does sustain us. Really? That's like saying, I'm committed to you until the honeymoon at least. What is that? That's not God's plan at all. Marriage is for life. Something is born on a wedding day. Before the, before the wedding, it's he and she. And after the marriage, it is us. It's interesting um, when God in Matthew 19 reaffirms th this idea of marriage. And says, therefore what God joined together, let no one separate. And he says, I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery... Listen to what his disciples say to him. His disciples say to him, if the relationship of man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. You know what they're saying? What if you get the wrong one? Jesus, what if she actually deliberately burns your toast one day? You have to stick with her? For the rest of your life? No, seriously, that was actually one of the rules. It wasn't that if she just, some people say it was just because she burned a meal or messed up a meal. It wasn't actually that. It was if she deliberately burned your meal and hers was good, like she just had this vindictiveness out for you, then you could just divorce her because you're like, hey, you know, what are you doing to my food? And they're like, but what? If you get like, like a, Somebody like her, you have to stick with her, Jesus? It would be better not to get married than to get stuck with that. That's really what they're saying here. And Jesus says what? That's right. That's what marriage is all about. Do you know how I know that Andrea is the one for me? My wife, Andrea. But let's make that clear. <laughs> Do you know how I know she's the one for me? Because I married her. That's how I know she's the one for me, because I made a commitment to her. Listen, I mean, in this world today, we get all these crazy ideas, and we're like, oh, I just got to find the one, the one that completes me, you know, the one that, you know, just is all these sort of things. Listen, I mean, that's crazy, because if one person gets it wrong, guess what? It messes it up for everybody else. You think about that? Somebody marries the wrong person, then what? The person they were supposed to marry has to marry the wrong person. I mean, it messes it all up. You make sure that they have a common person. But listen, once you say, I do, that's the person for you for the rest of your life. That is God's plan. Your spouse is the right person for you. Fifthly, marriage is a public covenant. Verses 22 and 23. It says, God brought the man to the woman, and the man says, this one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's important to understand that God created marriage as a public institution. It's not a private thing. It involves public vows made before God and before the ruling authorities. That's what marriage is all about. That's why marriage is different than living together. Even if you're saying, well, we're giving individual promises or we're giving personal assurances to one another. God is the other, only the only other person here, of course, because he's the only other person on earth. But he is giving her away and he's standing there as a witness to what they, the decision that they're making, that they are going to be cleaving to one another for life. Second, my second point, I only have two points, so don't get too worried. As the founder of marriage, God designed its purpose. Not only did God design the rules of it, but God designed the purpose of marriage. There's three main purposes of marriage that I kind of overall do it, uh, I, that I think of. And I, and I think this is so important, church. We need to understand these purposes because the church has forgotten these purposes. 
And we probably wouldn't be in the mess we are in society or as much of a mess if the church had stayed true to understanding what the purposes of marriage are all about. You know, when I grew up, there's a little ditty. It says, first comes love, then comes marriage, then the baby and the baby carriage. You know what I mean? And it was kind of taught into us. You know, make sure and get it in that order, right? But, but that, that's, not, that's not right. It's not right. We're called to love our enemy, right? As believers, we're called to love everyone. We're, and I'm not going to marry everyone. You see, when we make marriage primarily about love, when we say, oh yeah, 1 Corinthians 13, that's the marriage chapter. No, it's not. It's the love chapter. That's what we show to our enemies. Now you, can, you better love your, your spouse, right? And it's appropriate to, to, to read it at a wedding because you say, hey, this is what my love, my choice to love you will look like. This is what it needs to be displaying. It's not inappropriate to do that. But listen, it is not about marriage. Because if we simply boiled it down to, which I hear a lot, that marriage is about love, then other people are saying, well, I love, I love this person. I love this person. I love these multiple people. I love my animals. Why can't we get married too? What's wrong with our love? But if we get back to God and says, these are the purposes of marriage, it's a very exclusive purpose and eliminates a lot of the aberrations that we see in our world today. First, and they're not in any particular, you know, this is more important than the other, but the first thing that I picked out, the purpose of marriage, is for procreation. Naming the animals, Adam could do by himself. Tending the garden, Adam can do by himself. But he was not going to be fruitful by himself. God put this longing in him. You know, he's like, boy, girl, boy, girl. And then he's like, finally God brings Eve. And he's like, what? Like, where have you been my whole life? It literally is, I guess in Hebrew, it's like, this is it. This is the one. And he's like, let's get busy, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth with children that will declare the glory of God. Right? That was the whole point. It wasn't just to have children. It was to have children that declare the glory of God. Malachi 2.15 says, Didn't God make them one? Talking about marriage covenant. What is that one about? It's about godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. God says, I am concerned about marriage because one of the purposes of marriage is to have godly offspring that will fill the earth and, and, and be testimonies to the glory and grace of Jesus Christ. It isn't just having children, but raising children in God's way. That's why God has given us so much instruction about raising children in the Word of God. Because that's one of the purposes of marriage. Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Can I speak to our young man especially here this morning? We are called, God calls you to take leadership in that area. Did you know that? God has said to you, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with the glory of God. That's, that's something that you're called to take leadership in. All men are called to lead this, earth, this mission, to fill the earth with the knowledge and glory of Jesus. And listen, young men, you either partner with a wife to enable you to do that, or you invest the gift of singleness in a greater way to do that. There's no other options. So I'm seeing more and more this, this plan, oh, well, you know what I mean, I'm just going to Kind of, you only live once, and so the, my, my, my young, you know, years, I'm just going to spend just, you know, experiencing life, you know, getting high honors in my video games and stuff like that. Well, listen, there's only two options. You are called to spread the glory of God. It's either by seeking a wife and partnering with her, or as Paul said, using your signalness as a gift to get extra involved in the kingdom of God. I remember Seth Beebe. 
was a good reminder to me about that. He says, you know what, right now, he's one of the missionaries we support, and he says, the last two months I've been living out of my car. I couldn't do that if I was married. Well, he sees the point right now of his singleness because he can be dedicated in a greater way for the kingdom of God. Singleness ought to mean a greater involvement and commitment because you do not need to be absorbed in the cares of this life. Because listen, if you do get married, it's not for your pleasure. You marry because of the impact such a union can have for God and eternity. And which is why it so much matters who you marry. Because if your marriage is supposed to be for the glory of God and for how it impacts eternity, listen, if you pick somebody that doesn't care about those things, your marriage is not going to accomplish what God is, desires it to accomplish. But here's my concern. I see more and more singles totally engrossed in the passing scene instead of leveraging their life for the kingdom. They're spending their money on themselves. They're selfish with their time. They're operating like free agents instead of being committed to the ministry. Singleness ought to mean a greater involvement. You know, Adam didn't say, let's wait for a few years, Eve. You're the one and until I have mapped out the whole garden. I've, I've, got, I've got my you know, career to get established. I've got all these things, Eve. You just stay over here, and then we'll come, and we'll, we'll do this thing. He's like, no, she's the one. Where have you been my whole life? This is it. I do. I don't know. You know, this is just maybe just speaking. This is not the word of God. But I sometimes wonder if a guy's like, this is the one. Let's get married in five years. I'm like, are you even called to marriage? I don't know. When I met Andrea, I'm like, this is the one. I'm like, let's, let's get this thing happening. <laughs> Where have you been my whole life? Let's do this thing. Let's get involved for the kingdom of heaven. If it's just part of your achievement checklist, you know, graduate, job, marriage, you know, dog, two, you know, wife, two kids. If it's just part of a checklist and you don't say, this is about building the kingdom of God. This is partnering with you for the glory of Jesus Christ. What are you doing? When we think about this subject, we're reminded that our life is about more than us. And it's more about our satisfaction. It's more, about, more than our desires. A lost and dying world needs an army of biblically trained children. This world needs an army of biblically trained children. And that's what happens. That is what God is calling us to do in the context of family. A mom and a dad passionate about things of God, raising their children in the ways of God. You know, I like what one preacher said, you know, children are a blessing of the Lord, the Bible says. He says, when have you ever turned down blessings? Now, I'm not saying there's any one number. I'm not saying, you know, six is the magical number because, you know, God brought us to that point. But I'm saying you need to say, listen, God is calling us to, to raise children so that they're army for Jesus in this world. And you need to consider that. That's one of the purposes of marriage. The other purpose, in Ephesians chapter 5, you want to just turn there really quickly, verses 25 to 29. I think we just need to just read it just to um, just hear what God says about this. The second purpose I put down is sanctification. Sanctification is set us apart for Jesus to make us more like Jesus. Verses 25 to 29, it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without sprout or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. What is the purpose? He says, just as it represents Jesus Christ to, to present us holy and righteous without spot, to present us set apart for God's kingdom. I put this, marriage is, no, sorry, Tim Keller wrote this. Marriage is for helping each other to become our future glory selves. 
the new creations that God will eventually make us. Marriage is for helping each other to become our future glory selves, the new creations that God will eventually make us. Marriage is not so much about finding the right person, although it's important that they meet God's standards, but it is becoming the right person because marriage exposes our sin, doesn't it? I say to my small group, listen, I, I grew up in a large family. I shared a dorm room in college, and I really thought that I was not that selfish of a person until I got married. <laughs> and then I'm like, whoa, Josh, you are a selfish person. And so then we get that mostly worked out, right? I mean, not that I don't have bouts of pride and selfishness in our marriage today. But, but, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm doing pretty good. And then guess what? Kids come along. And I'm like, whoa, you are such... God is using these things, what, to refine me, to expose things that I don't want to know about myself. Marriage is not only exposes my sin, it is about encouraging righteousness it's primarily the, the, the husband's role to sanctify his wife. The Bible is very clear here. The bi- husband takes responsibility for the wife's Christian growth and spiritual strengthening by deliberately, daily, intentionally building her up in the word of God. That, that's, that's the desire of marriage, is that we, we in- encourage one another to become more like Jesus. And listen, even if you say this morning, listen, my spouse is unsaved. Did you know that doesn't get you out of it? Paul says if you... If they'll let you stay, you stay there because you can have this godly influence on them. Listen to the words of 1 Peter 3.1. In the same way, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands so that they, even if some disobey the word, okay, even if some are outright jerks, really, right? If you're disobeying the word of God, it can, be, it can be not a fun person to be with. It says, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. Listen, listen. You can only win them over with the help of Jesus, by looking like Jesus. I'm going to ask you this question, if you're married especially, does your spouse look more like Jesus today because you married them? That's the point. And then thirdly, illustration, Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. It says, Wives, submit your husbands as the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the water of the earth. And then he says this. This mystery in verse 32 is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. There's an illustration here. He says, listen, this is mysteries of profound. But God, in the beginning of time when he instituted marriage, wanted marriage to be in such a way that it would help us understand God's plan for this earth. It's this beautiful picture. The highest purpose of marriage is to display to the world the sacrificial love of Christ for his bride, the church. It's bigger than us. And when people see our marriages, they ought to see something that is beautiful and reminds them of the person and passion of God for the world. Tim Challies wrote this, and I'll just read it because I can't say it any better than him. The husband is a display of Jesus Christ who woos his bride, who leads her, who cares for her, and who is intimately united to her. Oh, the wife is the display of the church who is drawn by Christ, who joyfully follows him, who joins in his life and work, and who's intimately united to him. I want to read that again. 
the illustration. The husband is the display of Jesus Christ who woos his bride, who leads her, who cares for her, and is intimately united to her. The wife is the display of the church who is drawn by Christ, who joyfully follows him, who joins in his life and work, and who is intimately united to him. I'll tell you something that probably won't surprise you, but when I asked Mary, Andrea to marry me, she didn't choose me because I had a lot of benefits. <laughs> Matter of fact, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to buy her a great wedding ring. So I went to a, somebody, um, a pastor friend of mine, I knew a guy who dealt with, with diamonds. And so, uh, so I went to his house, and I'm like, yeah, I want to buy a diamond because I want to get engaged to, to Andrea. And so he, he has this, like, this soft velvet thing he rolled out, and he's showing me these diamonds. And I'm like, those are nice diamonds. And I'm like, how much are they? He says, 20000 And I said to him, do you have anything in like the $600 range? And he looks at me and says, if you want a sliver, go to Charms. <laughs> so she didn't marry me for all the benefits. <laughs> um, but I could commit by grace, by the grace of God, to love her, to cherish her, and she joyfully accepted my invitation to an exclusive relationship. You know what was interesting? There was a moment in time when, it, when I, I, I talked to her and said, because Andrea was not planning to be a pastor's wife. And Canada. That was not on her agenda at all. And I remember talking to her and said, listen, God has called me. Um, I love missions. I'd be on the mission field today, but God has called me I, and has not released me from that calling to stay in the Maritimes and raise people up that are passionate about going into the world and sharing Jesus Christ. That's just the call that God has placed on my life right now. And I said to her, I said, that's the call that God has placed on my life. Are you willing to follow me and help me in that call? And it was interesting because Andrew wasn't going in that direction at all. She was thinking of being a missionary, of leaving, you know, maybe possibly North America and going as a missionary somewhere else. She took some time to pray, and she said, yes, I will join you in that call. I will partner with you in that call. She had to let go of her plans, follow me, and serve in what I sensed that my Heavenly Father was calling me to do. And you know what? That's, I think, the picture that marriage does for us in the world. What is Jesus came to me, and Jesus said, I come to do the will of my Father, Will you join me? And we have a decision to make. Am I going to do my own thing, go my own way with my own plans? Or am I going to spin and say, Jesus, I want you. I want a relationship with you, the God who came and died for me, that, that says we can have an in, uh, intimate relationship together. I want that. I want you. And I'm going to abandon my plans, and I'm going to commit to you. And I want my purpose, too, to bring honor and glory to doing the will of the Father. That's what, that's what marriage is supposed to express, because that's what God is offering to us. It will interrupt your plans. And I don't know where Jesus will lead you on in the journey of following him, but I know this, that you could trust him. There is no one greater to say, you know what? I say yes to you. I trust you. And that's why the Bible ends in Revelation 17, uh, 19, 7 to 9. It says, Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come. Listen to this. The bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He said to me, These words of God are true. So he just, he says, we know the word of God is true. He says, I want you to know this is true. This is true. That those are blessed that are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who's invited? Whosoever will may come. Jesus says, do you want, you want a relationship with me? 
But to do that, we're going to have to give up our own plans. We're going to have to give up our own set of values sometimes. The things that we say are important. We're saying, yes, Jesus, I want to come with you. I want to live for the purpose of glorifying God, of doing what God has called me to do. And what's happening right now? If we say yes, the Bible says that he's away preparing a place for us. But he'll come again. You know, I think it's so interesting. You know, the, um, the Jewish uh, thing where uh, they would, there would be the, the, basically the betrothal engagement period. And then the, then the man would go away to prepare a place. And I thought this was so interesting. You know, do you know when he would come back and receive her and they would have the big, you know, the wedding ceremony? I think it lasted seven days or something like that. Um, seven, ten days. Anyways, it was a big, big celebration. And so the bride actually didn't know when that was happening. She would just kind of be preparing and ready. Um, but there would be a, like a loud fanfare when, when he started on his way to her house to pick her up and then go to this, the marriage celebration. But even the man himself didn't know when he was going to be able to do that. He just worked away at his house. And when his father said, your house is good enough to go get your bride, he would go get her. And then, you know what, Jesus? What did he say? I'm up there building a house. And when the father says... It's good enough. And he says he's going to return and bring us and we're going to celebrate the great wedding together. And that offer is on the table for you this morning. And that's why, you know, we ought to be passionate about marriage because it's a beautiful picture of Christ's invitation to us. Will you be reunited with me? Will you be joined with me? Will you follow me in my purpose and my passion for the glory of God? My question to you this morning is, have you said yes to that? Have you said yes to that great invitation and now we're doing the will of God, waiting for the day when we're reunited with our Savior in heaven.